Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Cornerstone. That's probably the third good morning you've received, and you've responded well each and every time. Great to see you. I'd like to invite your Bible to take your Bible and turn with me to Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8. So greetings from the church in Nebraska. Uh, I was there Thursday night, Friday, Saturday, and uh, Sunday, and uh, someone came up to me and said, I'm a part of Cornerstone. I said, you are? Yes, we listen every time you teach. We hear the teaching of God's word, and then the question was, so how long are you going to teach James? And... uh, (laughs) I said, I'm sorry. I know it's hit or miss, but I'm determined to to get home, and we're halfway home. Um, And listen, I want you to know I'm quite an influencer. I was there Friday night to do chapel for the uh, University of Nebraska football team, and uh, it's voluntary. You don't have to come. I ate uh, dinner with the team. Man, I need to go back to college to eat like that. It's it's the buffet of all buffets. Prime rib, you name it. You play big-time college athletics, you're going to eat the way you were designed to eat. Uh, oh, and the offensive coordinator at Nebraska was the quarterback who threw to me at Brown. So I got to see Mark Whipple. He's really gotten old. It's unbelievable how he's <laughs> aged. Um, but anyway, I had a good time at dinner. And then uh, the chapel, which is voluntary, uh, had the three... First-string quarterback, second-string quarterback, and the third-string quarterback all come to a voluntary chapel. How cool is that? Um, A lot of good things going on at Nebraska, and I said I'm an influencer, not because I spoke at chapel, but because they fired the head coach on Saturday night after the loss to Oklahoma, and then they fired the defensive coordinator on Sunday. So I'm a significant influence in losing your job. Um, (laughs) But do pray for them. Uh, my friend Ron Brown, and many of you have met him. We went to school together at Brown and played football together. He is a coach at Nebraska. He has mega influence for the cause of Christ at that university and throughout the state. There's a lot of things going on in Nebraska athletics as it relates to playing sports for the glory of God because Christian athletics is more than praying before the game and after the game and not cussing during the game. Christian athletics is why you do what you do, for whom you do it, and giving it your best because he is the best. And they have that engine in big-time college athletics. And then there were a group of coaches who came from all over the country who uh, we met with on Friday before chapel, and uh, they're influencing student-athletes all over the country to uh, use the platform of athletics, which, by the way, a person I sat next to at the game, there was 87,000 people in the stadium. It was packed. This stadium was built in 1923. You sit on benches that are designed for people in the Middle Ages, like really tiny, (laughs) And, and it was packed. And the person leaned over to me and said, this is worship. And uh, I thought, yeah, it feels like worship. Now, by the, by the time the second quarter ended, worshiping was declining because Nebraska was taking it on the chin. But in the midst of all of that, I thought, what a significant metaphor for what motivates our culture. And in the state of Nebraska, like the state of Alabama, and Mark Curry, thanks for bringing that up. I appreciate it. Just the, uh, just the power of athletics to influence. And uh, frankly, that's the platform you're in or on wherever you line up, not necessarily athletically, but whether it's a place of career function or a neighborhood, you are the light and salt of the good news in your neighborhood, and somebody's watching even if it's not a sellout crowd. They've sold out that stadium 387 times in a row. And it could be termed as worship because of what happens there is so important to people. And what I want to say to you is what happens in your sphere of influence has eternal impact. And uh, part of being at grace and learning and growing and doing the Bible studies is an effort to help us all live for the glory of God. Not so much play for the glory of God, but live for him. And that's what our aim is this morning. I've invited you to Proverbs chapter 8, not because we won't be in James, but 
as I was preparing for today, I want to establish by way of conviction a recognition that there is an ingredient that is essential which guarantees you to experience and promote life that's truly life. And I think there's a misunderstanding about this essential uh, quality, characteristic, uh, that is important for you to experience what it is that God has designed you to taste and to be an influence that God has designed you to have. The subject I want to begin with is the subject of the paragraph we're going to finish up today in James 3, and that subject is wisdom. Because James 3 comes out of the gate saying, who is wise and who has understanding? Who is it that possesses these ingredients? And then he goes on to talk about the characteristics, the diagnostic realities that have to be present if you possess that. And I wanted to begin today with just a raise your interest in what we're about to consider as it relates to the kind of the qualities and ingredients, characteristics, the, the factors that have to be present in you in order to be known for and be impactful with the wisdom of God. Proverbs chapter 8, I want to read beginning with verse 1. I'm going to punctuate some words, but here's the question I want to start with. Who is wise and understanding? Let's define wisdom. What is wisdom? Does not wisdom call? And understanding lift up her voice. Now I want you to understand that wisdom in this text is proactive. So whatever wisdom is and wherever it comes from, it's announcing its presence and it's proactively promoting its perspective. Now, where does it wisdom call from? And I think this is a critical understanding as it relates to what wisdom is. On top of the heights beside the way. So it's up, above. Where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Paths meet are crossroads, junctures in life, and there is an above voice giving you perspective from above as you reach the crossroads of life. Verse 3, beside the gates, at the opening to the city, at the entrance of the doors, she cries out, gates of the city, Entrance of the doors is where the decision makers of the city would meet. The gathering point for the leadership of a community, the decision-making leadership, was at the gates of the city. That's where the discussions were had. That's where the debates were had. That's where the influencers gathered. So wisdom says, with a view from above, at the critical junctures of life, crossroads, and at the critical decision-making places, the gates, wisdom is crying out, offering guidance from where? Above. All right? So wisdom is from above, critical junctures, critical decisions. Verse 4, to you, O men, I call, not just believers, people, humanity, and my voice is to the sons of men. O naive ones, discern prudence. And, O fools, discern wisdom. Listen, for I shall speak noble things. All right, so put the word noble in your mind because we're going to see that show up in James because we're going to talk about wisdom. I, from my mouth, I speak noble things, and the opening of my lips will produce right things. So noble and right. Verse 7, for my mouth will utter truth, and wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the utterances of my mouth are in, key word, righteousness. Right with God, right with people. All of them, wise people, verse 8, there is nothing crooked or perverted in them. They are all straightforward to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Who has wisdom? Who has understanding? If you have that, you are characterized by this. 
Verse 10, take my instruction, wisdom's instruction, and not silver. Knowledge rather than choicest gold. Silver, good. Gold, good. Something better. Verse 11, for wisdom is better than jewels, and all desirable things cannot be compared with her. Question, why is wisdom better than silver, gold, and jewels? Because wisdom can acquire what money cannot buy. There are things that we would call priceless. Priceless living, priceless relationships, priceless experiences, the things that you can't monetize. Wisdom is the essential collateral necessary to secure the priceless categories of life which is why you ought to desire it. It is more desirable than anything because you can have money and not acquire the things that matter. And you watch the queen, her funeral, the volume of resources that exchanged hands, the thousands of acres that Prince Charles, now King Charles, has, what the Prince of Wales, William, has received as a, consequence of his monetary inheritance, the jewels that, um, what's Prince William's wife's name? Kate, yeah, thank you. You can tell I'm up to date on my current events. (laughs) Kate gets all that jewelry, millions of dollars of jewelry, money, assets, resources, whatever that monetary exchange was, it's not as valuable as this commodity of wisdom. Wisdom trumps everything in life as it relates to experiencing the best things in life, the stuff that money can't buy. Turn over to Job chapter 28. You're now seeing why James takes so long because we've yet to get there. But here's what I felt this week when I was prepping for you. You're not going to be motivated sufficiently if you don't understand the incomparable value of the asset we're talking about. If you undervalue this, if it's not the pursuit and priority of your Christian sanctification journey, Your life is going to be deficited, and it doesn't matter how much money you have or how many resources you have available at your disposal. If you lack this, you lack the essential ingredient that trumps all of that. And the question in James is, do you have it or don't you? No matter what you claim. Job chapter 28, I think, is very helpful because Job is in the midst of his wrestling, talking about the significant ingredient necessary to navigate suffering. Because if you listen to his friends talk, and if you listen to him reflect, you recognize that human perspective is not sufficient for the challenge at hand. You need an asset that you do not have and men do not work to find. And the chapter begins with the call to value what is priceless. It talks about there's a mine, verse 1, for silver. There's a place where they refine gold. Iron is taken from dust. Rock, copper is smelted from rock. Copper is smelted. And I like verse 3. Man puts an end to darkness and to the farthest limit he searches out. The rock and gloom and deep shadow, he sinks a shaft far from habitation, forgotten by the foot, they hang and swing to and fro far from men. The earth from it comes food, and underneath it it is turned up as fire. Its rocks are the source of sapphires, and the dust contains gold. The path no bird of prey knows, nor has the falcon's eye caught sight of. The proud beasts have not trodden it, nor has the fierce lion passed over it. The man, referring to verse 9, he puts his hand on the flint, he overturns the mountains at the base, he hews out channels through the rocks, his eyes see anything, and his eyes sees anything precious, he dams up the streams from flowing, and what is hidden he brings out to the light. Let me bottom line with you, there is good stuff in the earth, there's valuables in the earth, 
There's valuable metals, valuable jewels, and man is willing to do whatever it takes to get at that precious value. He sinks a shaft, he hangs from a rope, he's below the earth. He's willing to explore relentlessly, creatively, constantly in order to acquire the assets represented in precious stones and precious metals. Do you get it? Look at what it says in verse 12. But where can wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its value. Now just stop right there. That is a commentary on the human perspective about something more valuable than what man knows value is in and is willing to to endure and to pursue at great cost and even vulnerability to acquire. Man does not know its value, nor is it found in the land of the living. I now pause right there. It's not something you get on the earth from the earth. It's not under it, and it's not in it. This is very important. Look at what he goes on to say. The deep says, it's not in me. The sea says, it's not with me. Verse 15, kind of a rehearsal of what we saw in Proverbs. Pure gold cannot be given in exchange for it, nor can silver be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, which is where it was found uh, in volume and in high refined quality, in precious onyx or sapphire. Gold or glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for articles of fine gold. Coral and crystal are not to be mentioned, and the acquisition of wisdom is above that of pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. Do you hear what he's saying? You can't buy this. It's not on the earth, and nothing you possess on the earth can acquire it. I don't care how much you have it, how valuable it is. The thing most valuable you cannot acquire with earthly assets. Verse 20, where then does wisdom come from? Where is the place of understanding? Now, here's the question we're going to ask in James. Who has wisdom? Who has understanding? And where did they get it? Where does it come from? So, verse 21, it is hidden from the eyes of all living. It's not human. And concealed from the birds of the sky, abaddon and death say, with our ears we've heard a report of it. Look at verse 23. God understands its ways. And he knows its place. Why? Because he possesses it. He, we didn't continue reading in chapter 8 of Proverbs, but it was wisdom which God used to create what is. It was wisdom that God possesses, that God utilized in order to create the world in which we live. Verse 24, he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. So it's God knowing where wisdom is with him looking at the ends of the earth, seeing it all, sees everything under the heavens. He imparted weight to the wind. He meted out the waters by measure. He set a limit for the rain. Wisdom did all this, and God used it as a course for the thunderbolt. He saw it. He declared it. He established it, and he searched it out. All right, now look up for a minute. Wisdom. You got to value it. Most men don't. They're willing to do whatever it takes to acquire it, but it's not here. It's not under the earth. It's not in the sea. It's not among humanity as an asset of human beings. I don't care how long you live. I don't care how much of this you have. Mark referenced wisdom, maybe from a human comparison, and just talk to Pam. That may or may not be true. But from a human wisdom standpoint, you may possess human wisdom. But the asset in question is not a human experience No matter how long you live, how much of life you know, this wisdom isn't earthy. It's not natural. It's from above, from the God who looks from above and is willing to dispense it to people, here's a key statement, who qualify to receive it. And let me tell you something, you want it. 
Because I don't care how many billions you have, this asset acquires what money cannot buy. Look at verse 28. And to man, very human being, this is for you. And to man he, that's capital H, God, Yahweh said, behold. Now let's stop right there. When, he, when the Bible says behold, it's like saying, hey, listen, pay attention to this. Head up, eyes open, listen to this. To every man, to every woman, God says, listen to this. Watch what God says to man. The fear of the Lord, that's regard for God, that is wisdom. Properly regarding God, respecting Him, honoring, elevating, recognizing, properly weighting God, weight as in worth, not worshiping a football team, not worshiping your children, not worshiping your job, not worshiping stuff, worshiping and applying proper worth to God. That is wisdom. It starts with a high view of God. Now look at the second part of the verse. And to depart from evil, that's understanding. Who has wisdom? The person who fears God and regards God, starts their day God first, ends their day God last, engages God throughout the day, recognizing His presence, His person, His status, worshiping Him, doing life for the glory of God, That's what a person who has access to divine wisdom and who possesses it. It's a qualifier. And the recognition that in order for me to get what God has, overview, his view on things, not an earthly view, a sovereign divine God view, I need to turn away and depart from evil. If I've got evil, sin, darkness, and I'm engaged where people can see or cannot see that I've departed from right living as it relates to God and people. If I'm not willing to change direction, to depart means to turn around and walk away, to leave it, not to linger in it. That person has access because of honoring God and shunning evil. They have the capacity to lay hold of as a gift from God, perspective from God that allows you to live life the way you were built to live it. Who has wisdom? Who has understanding? Person who worships God and fears him, regards him and elevates him, and the person who's consistently turning from the things that displease and discredit him. That's what we're after. James chapter 3. I am convinced that if you don't recognize, and and Proverbs 2, and I didn't take you there for the sake of time, Proverbs 2 says you're to seek wisdom which comes from above. It's not an earthly asset. You come to Harry and say, Harry, I need wisdom on this. Well, listen, unless I get it from God, I don't have it. I'm 64 years old. I've seen a lot. I've done a lot. I've experienced a lot. I've been married for 40 plus years. I have life experience. Let me tell you what that isn't, this. This is a divine asset that God gives as a gift to those who dig for it like hidden treasure. Those who have a right view of God and a right view of sin and people who are willing to proactively seek it as if there's treasure in the earth and they can find it. I'm convinced most Christians are not willing to dig or to pursue. Not willing to dig, not willing to turn, and not willing to worship across the board. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God as an act of worship. Eat or drink, whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. This is critical. And verse 13, chapter 3, the book of James is about this. And it's about the claim... The declaration, I have what we just talked about. Who among you is wise? The declaration is somebody's claiming to have that. 
and they're claiming to have understanding and knowledge. It could refer to the teacher who's at the front. I'm the teacher today. I have wisdom. It would be that person. I have understanding. Let me, let me bless you with my perspective. That's the claim. That's the declaration. Now listen, you may say that this doesn't, this doesn't apply to me. I don't go around saying I'm wise. I can't remember the last time I sat down and said, you should listen to me, Noah. I remember Noah's name. That should get extra credit. Was it Michaela? Okay. Hey, listen. Not married that long. I'm assuming. You look young. I've been married a long time. Let me tell you how to do this. If you advise, you're saying, I have wisdom perspective on life to offer. If you criticize, well, Harry's not a very good teacher. I wouldn't have said that. The Bible didn't say that. If you advise or criticize, you're in the category of I claim I have wisdom and I have understanding. Did I leave anybody out? No. Because we all advise and criticize. So this applies to you. Who advises, who criticizes, who makes claims about this is good, that's not good? Who is the one who says, I understand. Let me offer you my perspective, or let me challenge his perspective. James chapter 3, who among you is wise and understanding? Who's making that common claim? We all do. That requires validation. Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds, and the gentleness of wisdom. Validating that claim of wisdom and understanding must be demonstrated in real time in the way you live. And we've talked extensively. God-honoring, soul-strengthening behavior, deeds, activity, rendered in gentleness, meekness, power under control, silent steel, it's the person who has strength and exercises it wisely to express wisdom, which, or gentleness rather, which comes from wisdom. So you got to show it. Verse 14, they are not showing it. The reality contradiction among this group, but since you have, not if, first class condition, since you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, you're, do not be arrogant and lie against the truth. The truth of what? Your claim about wisdom, the truth of the gospel that you claim to represent. You lie against it arrogantly by making the claim and yet possessing not good deeds, good behavior, and gentleness, but bitter jealousy, selfish ambition. Now you're sitting here and perhaps like I did, well, I'm not bitter and jealous. Those are heavy words. When's the last time somebody said of you, by way of description, you have bitter jealousy? Probably not. Recently, and certainly probably not often, jealousy is energy. It comes from zelao, zealous. It's the energy you have when you've been injured, bitter, pakria, stabbed. When somebody hurts you, it's the energy that motivates you to hurt them back. And you can do that face-to-face -face with some strong confrontation, some ugly exchange, or you do it from behind, slander. Clamor and slammer, slander, slammer. <laughs> slander and clamor is the expression of injury frustration. And zealous, jealousy, is the engine, the boiling, the seething, the, 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 the heart of it rooted in injury and selfish ambition it's from the word mercenary it's the idea it's self-centric so it's about me it's not about you it's not about the group it's about what you did to me and because you did it to me or it's about me i'm going to injure you either face to face or from behind i'm going to stab you from behind with some words i share with somebody else or i'm going to confront you to your face in an unkind way if you've got that guess what you aren't wise Guess what you aren't? Understanding. You're disqualified. You lie against the truth claim, I'm wise and I have understanding. So if there's hurtful energy in your life, you're disqualified. Let's continue to read. 
This wisdom is not that which comes down from above. Where does wisdom come from? God. The wisdom you're displaying here is earthy. It's of the world. It's worldly wisdom. Worldly wisdom consists of the way the world thinks. It's the world view, the way they look at the world, the way they understand its function and the things that are value. The world which says there is no God, I can do what I want, I can live to get, the ends justify the means. All of the self-centric ideas that are characterized by worldly points of view, the wisdom of the world, in contrast to heavenly wisdom. It's the wisdom that is prevalent among men upon the earth. It is also sensual. Verse 15, natural. It means it's not spiritual. It's human. It's unspiritual. The physical life. It's the way you think about things. It denotes that which is of the flesh. These are actions governed by desire for fleshly fulfillment. Let me give you the antithesis of natural, or the, this, rather the synonym for natural. It's animalistic. You're behaving as an animal, which an animal is governed by the idea that I will do and I will seek what is best for me. And if it hurts you, this is the animal kingdom. I want what you have. I'm going to take what you have. You're weak. I can take advantage of your weakness. It is governed by felt and base needs. It is not noble. It involves animalistic, natural desire to survive. Listen, one of the things I observe about myself is justified self-centeredness. I can say it or I can do it because I deserve it or you're denying me something that you should offer to me. And in that sense of justified self-centeredness, I can behave in ways that are hurtful and injurious to the person that is denying me what it is I want. I'm a husband and my wife's not meeting my needs. So I can address that failure or that lack and I can do so in a justified way. You're not meeting my needs. I'm going to make sure you know that you need to, and I'm going to do what I need to acquire what it is I desire. And this can be justified self-centeredness ethically, verbally, sexually, immorally. This does not come from above. This is the way the world thinks, and this is the way animals function. Lastly, and this is sobering, this is the explanation and conclusion. It's demonic. So it's not just Harry in the flesh. It's not just Harry thinking like the world thinks. It's not just Harry with the world molding me into its point of view about this or that. It's dark. It's demonically dark. It's, it's energized by evil. When I function with bitter jealousy, when I function in ways that are selfishly centered, I'm not just like the world. I'm not just a physical expression of the animal kingdom. I'm dark. I'm demonically dark. And listen, demonically dark means I will hurt you, I will break you, and I will kill you. Listen, you can, you know, you've heard it said, Jesus said, thou shalt not murder. I say unto you, if you call somebody a boneheaded fool, you're guilty of murder. We are so prone to express frustration in earthly ways. It's not justified, and it's dark, damning, and destructive. And look at what verse 16 says, and where that jealousy and selfish ambition, you, we feel this energy, where that exists, there's what? Disorder and every evil thing. You know what disorder is? 
chaos. I could take you through the passages that's used of uh, selfish ambition of the Pharisees who said they envied Jesus. And their, their actions were, were actions reflective of that envy, that jealousy, that frustration. He was displacing them. They were the religious elite. What did they do as a consequence of that envy? Let's crucify him. He's a blasphemer. Let's kill him. Oh, let's take Joseph's brothers. He does the dream thing, two dreams. I'm elevated, you're bowing. Did his brothers like that? They did not like that. The Bible says in Genesis, they were motivated by jealousy. What did jealousy do in the hearts of Joseph's brothers? Let's kill him. Let's abandon him. Let's sell him. Disorder and every evil thing. You want to do a diagnostic check on your life, not because some guy hooks you up to some sensors, but because you do a hard self-evaluation. What are the qualities, what are the characteristics of the world in which I relate and function? Is it disturbance and chaos? The word for disorder means fragile, unstable. Literally, well, that's what the word means when you read disorder. Your world is really fragile. It's unstable, volatile. Relationships are fragile and volatile. Your world is defined by chaos and turbulence. Let me tell you what the opposite of this is, and you're going to see it at the very end in verse 18. Peace is at the opposite. Your world is everything but peaceful. Your relationships at work are not peaceful. Your relationships at home are not peaceful. Peaceful. The relationships with your friends are not peaceful. They're fragile. They're unstable. And it's like a riot. And that's what you see in Acts chapter 17 where the Jews were envious of Paul and his success and his influence. It says they envied him and they went out and they stirred up the mob. They called the crowd and they had a disorder, a disturbance we would call a riot. If your world is chaotic, it doesn't have wisdom in it which comes from God. I don't care if you say I'm a Christian and I have life experience, listen to me, or I have opinions about what is being said, you need to listen to me. If your life is characterized by those things, you lie against the truth. And every kind of evil, every kind of darkness, the Corinthian church, strife, jealousy, immorality, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, you're governed by this attitude of self-interest. And the consequence is your church, your biblical community is a mess. This wisdom does not come from God. It doesn't matter what you say. Your life validates the opposite. Verse 17. But the wisdom from above. Who has wisdom? God does. This wisdom is characterized by these qualities. Now, I worked really hard. Some days I'm creative, some days not. I'm not sure this was a creative day effort. But I wanted to give you an acrostic. You know what that is. A series of letters that you can call to mind and remember these eight ingredients, because this is the measuring stick. If you want what money can't buy, if you want to have a harvest of righteousness, you want your life to be governed by the wisdom from above, you need these assets. So here is my acrostic, all right? Um, forgive me, bear with me, maybe is the best way. The acrostic, it's eight letters, up, up, U-P, that means above, 
Wisdom. W-I-S-D-O-M. Not very creative, right? Up wisdom. Eight ingredients. The up, the you. Untainted. Untainted. Because first of all, look at what it says, verse 17. On the other hand, the wisdom from above, up, is first pure. Now, when you see the word first, it means it colors everything else to follow. The word pure means unmixed. It's untainted. It's uncolored by corruption. Hognos, root meaning is pure enough to approach the gods. It was used in an inscription on a uh, pagan temple. He who would enter the divine temple must be pure. Purity of mind, purity of thought, true wisdom is cleansed of all our ulterior motives and of self. It is pure enough so that you can see God. Worldly wisdom might well wish to escape God's sight, but true wisdom is able to bear his very scrutiny. Without moral stain. Now think two things. If I'm going to be pure in everything that's coming out of me as a reflection of the wisdom I possess, I have pure motives. Pure motives. Pure motives means I'm doing this for the right reasons. I'm doing this, number one, for him. If you're a Christian, it's got to be for him, and then it's got to be for them. Pure motives, it's the antithesis of some of our leaders. It's the, you should take this vaccine, yet I have an interest in the company that sells vaccines. Doesn't that feel like an ulterior motive? And I know that's a political hot button. But we're in a country of leaders where people's self-interest motivate them to make choices. If the interest is you, it's not pure. It's not from above. It's about you. Going to tell your kids what to do or tell them who to marry or tell them whatever, where they ought to live, what kind of job they ought to take. Make sure it's not about you because it could easily be about you because my kids are a reflection of what? Me. So it can easily be the advice of a parent that has to do with what's best for the parent. Ulterior motives, pure, untainted by self-interest. Number two, it's got to be pure, pure morally. Motive and morals. It has to be holy. Immorality, if it's not God's wisdom, if it leads to immoral actions, dishonest actions, sexually unacceptable actions, relationally inappropriate actions, it's never selfish and it is never dishonest and it's not immoral. You is untainted, it's pure. Number two, the P, this was easy. It's peaceable. Peaceable is diplomatic. The Greek word has the idea of promoting right relationships when those relationships are threatened by things that are not right. Peaceable means I want to build a bridge to heal and to connect. I saw an example of it when, you know, if you follow anything at all about the royal family. You've got Harry and his wife, Megan, who are somewhere here in California, and they want out of their senior duties, and they meet with Oprah, and they tell stories about what it was like to grow up in the firm. And they've said some things, apparently, that are very hurtful, and I can understand that. And Prince Charles, now King Charles, gives his first speech about this couple that has injured the firm, the royal family. Are you with me? Now, you're not, you, you are living in America. You do listen to some of the things happening. Listen to his speech, and I, I put it down, this strained relationship, wondering how Charles would respond to Harry and Meghan, who went over for the Queen's funeral. Quote, King Charles, Today, I also want to express my love for Harry and Meghan as they continue to build their lives overseas. You know what that is? 
diplomatic. Could have you said other things? Yep, he could have. Could have you highlighted the differences and the frustrations and why things will never be the same? Yes, he could have. But what he did was peaceable. He was diplomatic. He was a bridge builder. That is an example of the wisdom from above. It seeks to right wrongs. It's not because you agree. It's the way you choose to engage up, untainted, peaceable. It's only used two times in the New Testament, this word. And it has the idea of seeking resolution, harmony, and agreement. True wisdom at all times brings men closer to one another and to God, or it's not from God. Yeah, but he hurt me. Yeah, he might have. Yes, she hurt me. Yes, she may have. Hey, he belittled me and took advantage of me. Yes, they may have. The wisdom from above looks like bridge-building diplomacy. Third thing, the W. Now you can feel the stretch of my creativity. Here in your passage, it says, pure, peaceable, and gentle. Here's the W. How are you going to get gentle? W is wow. <laughs> I know. It's a stretch, but let me, let, can, I, can I give you a reason why I chose Wow. This word is untranslatable in English. This word is justice and more than justice. This word comes from the word equity. It's fair. And it's got, an, a, it's got a prefix which heightens the fairness. It's beyond justice. It's better than right. Somebody said it's sweet reasonableness. I, uh, one of my favorite pastoral experiences in my life in Alabama, I had a state trooper in my church and he knew I liked to go fast and he knew that he could help me go fast legally. <laughs> and he had a Dodge Charger RT, which is a high performance Dodge police car. And he invited me to ride with him. Dude, I, <laughs> it was fun. And I, I, we, we, we were headed down I-65 south from Birmingham, and this car went the other way. And by the way, police, highway patrolmen, their radar can get six cars. I was always under the impression that if I was behind the rabbit, I was good. That is not true. They can get all six, which was eye-opening. But anyway, we're headed down I-65, and his little deal lights up, 105 car going in the opposite direction. Well, we had to go a little further to be able to cross over the interstate median, and then it was the best experience I've ever had legally <laughs> because that accelerator went all the way to the floor, and it was 140 miles an hour going that way, catching the 100. You got to go fast to catch 105. And uh, he pulled them over, car full of people, he uh, talked to them, and he came back to the car, and I said, Kent, are you going to write a ticket? And he said, no, there got, there, there's some Christian folks coming back from the, the Gulf. They were singing worship songs, and they got totally, the driver totally lost track, and they're doing 105 mile an hour singing to Jesus, and he said, listen, <laughs> you need to slow down so you won't see Jesus. That's what he said. Now listen, why do I use that? Because he had every right to write a ticket. But he recognized the circumstances. He saw the situation. And what they said after he said, don't go so you see Jesus, slow down so you don't see Jesus, they, they used hallelujah. And I would say you can use wow. You don't have to do that. You have every right to not let me off, but you did. That's this word. This word is when I have you dead to rights, I have every reason to execute, listen, justice. 
but I interpret the circumstances. You deserve the ticket. You may even deserve to lose your license. You may deserve to have your car impounded, but I see this for what it is. I recognize, and I'm granting you something that's greater than justice. This is the spirit of the law, not the letter of it. Isn't that a sweet reasonableness? Listen, when the wisdom from above is operational, it's untainted by ulterior motive or immorality. It's peaceable. It builds bridges. And it responds in ways that causes the person engaged with who knows they deserve something different to go, wow. See why I picked wow. Father, thank you for the opportunity to unpack some of the characteristics of this passage. We've got five to go. And it's my prayer that we will value what's valuable Man does not know the value of wisdom. They know the value of all kinds of stuff. It's my prayer that Cornerstone and those listening will will appreciate and pursue what will change their life and secure assets that money cannot buy and that they will seek it from heaven. They will dig for it like treasure. They will seek it as if you alone possess it and that they'll fear you and that they will shun evil and there'll be a vessel in which and through which you display divine perspective. And Lord, that they'll diagnose whether they have it or they don't, no matter what they claim, because in them is this purity of motive this desire for reconciliation and peace and this big, generous, gentle heart that says I could, but I won't. Lord, I pray that we'll be the best evidence of God's wisdom in a human being. Bless us with that. And I ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.